Um, but I would love to invite up our very own children's ministry leader, Bethany Birch, <laughs> as she leads us in the word. Thank you. Hi. Good morning. This is really weird because I'm not used to spending time with grown-ups. I usually assign myself to the four to seven-year-old class, and that might have affected the way I planned this message. So, we're going to start out with an activity. Okay. The only kid I can really claim downstairs is my two-and-a-half-year-old son, Carver. Um, I have a picture of him on the next slide. Um, he, it's been really fun seeing him grow up with our dog, Louie. Louie is a dachshund and Sharpay mix, and we think he is genetic perfection. We have it pretty well connected in Carver's mind that Louie's a dog, and it's been really interesting to see him process that information. The way that we process information is we compare it to what we already know, and then we decide how that fits with our foundational knowledge. I'll show you what, you mean, what I mean. So there's going to be four different slides of different dog breeds. I want you all to tell me what type of dog is in the picture, and then I'll tell you what kind of dog Carver thinks it is. So, what kind of dog is that? Very good. Carver says it kind of looks like Louie. The next one? Trickier. Norfolk, who said that? Carmi, you deserve a ring pop. Somebody give this ring pop to Carmi. Okay. The next one? Heck yes, it is. Carver says it kind of looks like Louie. And the last one. Who, who got Pooley? Oh my gosh, no, you can't have two. Okay. <laughs> but Carver thinks it kind of looks like Louie. <laughs> Again, that's the way we learn. We learn a little, and that becomes our foundation for learning more by comparing new information to what we already know. So what happens when that foundational bit of knowledge which you've used to build everything, changes. What if we told Carver that Louis was actually a cat? You know, how would he change his perspective, which he's used to create his entire understanding of dogs? Maybe you feel that way about Pastor Scott's message last week on Revelation. I did. I think we all fall into three general categories of reaction. Either you already knew this stuff about Revelation, and you were holding out on us. <laughs> or, this completely upended the way you thought about the book of Revelation, and you're still processing the implications. Or, maybe the whole book has never made any sense to you. Sometimes, it doesn't matter how much knowledge we pile on if our eyes aren't open to it. I think we have a video to show that. <laughs> Okay, so clearly it doesn't matter how hard you try to explain colors to this man. He was blind from birth. Colors mean nothing to him. They're confusing. Maybe you're someone that feels that way about spiritual things. It means nothing to you. It's confusing. You wish it made sense, but it just doesn't. You have a lot of questions. How can God be one and three? How can he be love and judgment? How can blue be the color of sky and ice? You know, knowledge can help, but only God can open your eyes. 
We all need to pray that as we read the Bible, only his Holy Spirit can open our eyes and our ears so that we can listen and understand some of the pictures of the spiritual world that are in Revelation. So before this month, I'd always heard Revelation presented as stuff that's happening in the future. But from the perspective we're taking, which apparently a lot of theologians agree, Revelation is about the past, the present, and the future. Which makes sense when you see through the book, it describes Christ as the one who was, who is, and who will be. He is past, present, and future. And this book is all about him. The title is literally The Revealing of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation shows us the God-centered view of history from its beginning to the end. It gives us a picture of the spiritual side of current events and events that haven't taken place yet. It's a picture book, not a puzzle book. It's designed to encourage us to endure a broken and wanting to break things world. It's not surprising that the churches in the history who have really loved this book were the persecuted churches. As I reread it this last week, it really struck me that a lot of the tribulations mentioned are things that happened all the time. Disease, war, famine, natural disaster. We've been through tribulations. I think it's interesting that one of the tribulations mentioned is one-third of the world's population dying from plague. Does that sound familiar? That's a common estimate of how many people died during the Black Plague. I'm not saying that's the way that we need to translate that information, but it's a really interesting coincidence. The book of Revelation tells us we don't have to be surprised at how broken the world is, but that we can look to the most whole and perfect being in the cosmos for hope. Okay, before we get into the actual scripture, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence here with us, and just please let your Holy Spirit open our eyes to the truths that you want us to see today. We love you and we trust you. In your name, amen. Okay, so let's read through our scripture today. We're going to read through it once to get the flavor, and then we're going to go through it little by little. We're in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Uh, go ahead and flip to it into, in your uh, real Bible or your fake Bible and hold it there. We're going to be doing some back and forth. (laughs) All right. Revelations 1-9. I, John, am a believer like you. I am a friend who suffers like you. As members of Jesus' royal family, we can put up with anything that happens to us. I was on the island of Patmos because I taught God's word and what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit gave me a vision on the Lord's day. I heard a loud voice behind me that sounded like a trumpet. The voice said, write on a scroll what you see. Send it to the seven churches in Asia Minor. They are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see who was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of them was someone who looked like a son of man. He was dressed in a long robe with a gold strip of cloth around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze metal glowing in a furnace. His voice sounded like rushing waters. He held seven stars in his right hand. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with two edges. His face was like the sun shining in all its brightness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. 
Then he put his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and hell. So write down what you have seen. Write about what is happening now and what will happen later. Here is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand. They are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven golden lampstands you saw stand for the seven churches. So that was a lot. Um, let's, let's go back to the very beginning of that. I, John. Let's stop there. Biblical authors don't talk this way. One of the reasons it's hard to figure out the authorship of some of the books of the Bible is they don't identify themselves. But there was one other writer in the Old Testament who said the same phrase, I, so-and-so. That was Daniel. So we already know we need to know the book of Daniel to understand this book. Last week, Pastor Scott said, depending on how you count it, there are 500 references in Revelation to the Old Testament. We're going to go through a couple of those today, but let's continue on. I, John, am a believer like you. Now, John knew Christ personally, right? But he's not, he doesn't brag about it. He doesn't claim that he has special knowledge or position. He says he has the same access to God that we do. You could also be given a vision. I am a friend who suffers like you. As members of Jesus' royal family, we can put up with anything that happens to us. Because in the presence of Christ is real joy in life. Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him, and we bear our cross for the joy set before us. I was on the island of Patmos because I taught God's word and what Jesus said. Okay, so this is funny. Your Bible commentary probably says Patmos is a barren, rocky island near Greece. But if you look up modern-day Patmos, the tourism website describes it as an island with countless picturesque bays and dreamlike beaches. But however you want to describe it, John was exiled there to die. John was going through some tribulation. Okay, on to verse 10. The Holy Spirit gave me a vision on the Lord's day. That would have been Sunday. You ever wonder why we pick Sunday as the day to hold church service? It's not random. By meeting on Sunday, we're honoring the first day that the Lord began to create life at the beginning of time, and also the first day that Christ was alive again. He was resurrected on a Sunday. According to the Bible, those both happened on a Sunday, and numbers matter in Revelation, right? Sunday is the first day of how many in a week? Seven. Seven is the divine number of completion. It means wholeness, completeness, ripeness, order, stability, and holiness. Okay, where are we? I heard a loud voice behind me that sounded like a trumpet. The voice said, write on a scroll what you see. Send it to the seven churches in Asia Minor. They are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We're going to use the rest of the Revelation series to talk about these churches, so let's um, put a pen in this topic, like Dylan says. Uh, there's a lot of material to think about with those churches. Twelve. I turned around to see who was speaking to me. When I turned, 
I saw seven golden lampstands. This is another one of those Old Testament callbacks. And this goes to Zechariah chapter 4. And the angel who talked to me came again and woke me. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel talked, who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. There's a lot of good stuff in this verse, but notice that in Zechariah, what's being described is a menorah, which has seven connected lamps. The lampstand in Zechariah is a promise that the temple, which will hold the lampstand, is going to be rebuilt. And it will be rebuilt not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. So in Revelation, there are seven disconnected lampstands. Together they represent the entire church, but they're not restricted to one place and one people group, like the menorah would be. They represent independent churches that can vary in location and style, but all have the same purpose. And the churches have been built by the Holy Spirit. God speaks through us and works through us, but only the Holy Spirit can open someone's eyes to the love of Jesus, making them part of the church. So let's think about the imagery of a church as a lampstand. Um, I have the modern day equivalent, which would be a candlestick holder. What is the purpose of this thing? It only has one. It holds candles up. Um, so in this illustration, here's the church. I'm thinking this is you and me. Could a candle be lit without being in this holder? Sure it can. But can you imagine the mess I'd make if I lit a candle and then I just set it down right there? <laughs> Scott can. <laughs> but a candlestick holder and a candle aren't much good if they don't have light. We'll get back to that later. Uh, back to our verses. We're in 13. In the middle of them was someone who looked like a son of man. He was dressed in a long robe with a gold strip of cloth around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. So the son of man is a callback to Daniel. Here's what Daniel said about the son of man. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came on like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, uh, that's the Lord, and was present before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. What kingdom is that? Daniel's talking about the kingdom of heaven, which was also Jesus' favorite topic. He talked about the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. And where is the kingdom of heaven? Wherever Jesus is acknowledged as king. The symbolism here 
um, back in Revelation, demonstrates that that's what he is, a king priest. He's wearing the clothing of a priest, the robe, the sash, but is standing in the center of the lampstands like a king. Okay, going on, we were halfway through 14. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze metal glowing in a furnace. His voice sounded like rushing waters. He held seven stars in his right hand. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with two edges. Okay, I, I know you guys get that symbol. The words coming out of his mouth are a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God cuts deep enough to separate soul from spirit. It judges the thoughts and purposes of the heart. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brightness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Then he put his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and hell. So write down what you have seen. Write about what is happening now and what will happen later. Here is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand. They are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven golden lampstands you saw stand for the seven churches. His face was like the sun shining. The Bible is full of comparisons of God to light. When he reveals himself, there's often a bright light. In Psalm 104, it says, you cover yourself with light as with a garment. In Luke, when the angels showed up to tell the shepherds about Jesus, it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. In Revelation 22:5, it says, the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Christ himself is the light. So I'm not going to explain this. I'm just going to let you guys think about it. Go, go, go. He is powerful. He holds the keys to death and hell. He is patient. Even though he hates the sin and pain and terror on the earth, he waits thousands of years to give more people the opportunity to come to him instead of wiping us all off the face of the earth. He's just. He won't let those who cause terror and pain get away with it forever. He's the source of every good thing. He's the only true life giver and joy bringer. He spoke a word at the beginning of creation and created light. He appeared as a pillar of fire to the Israelites when they were fleeing Egypt. Moses had to cover his face after speaking with God on the mountain because Moses' face started to shine just from spending time with God. David said God was his light and his salvation. Jesus said he's the light of the world. Why is it that we don't have to explain why light is good? Maybe it's just because from experience, we know that light means color, warmth, growth. Sunshine has a component in it that simply makes us happy. We know instantly that a God of light is very good. Here's a crazy bonus coincidence for you. We've been talking about the number seven. What happens when you shine pure light through a prism? Comes out in seven colors. I'll give you candy layered, Keith. I think there's probably a lesson in there. But our role is to be bearers of light. And as a church, we want to hold you up. 
so you can bear that light well. All the programs we do are pointless if we can't do that. But that's why we have programs and events and coffee breaks in the middle of service. We can't hold each other up if we don't know each other. If you keep reading Revelation, you'll see the church is talked about a lot, but it's called the Bride of Christ. This book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ reveals a lot of love for his one entire global historical and future church. If you're the person who feels like their foundational understanding of Revelation has been turned upside down, keep in mind that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is unarguably the foundation of the book. Read it with that in mind. If you're the person who feels spiritually blind, the Apostle Paul was too for a long time. At one point in his life, hearing about Jesus made him angry enough to literally kill people. And then one day, he was surrounded by this great light. He didn't even ask for that, and God gave him a taste of the glory of Christ. So I think it's perfectly acceptable for you and I to pray that God would show us his glory, that he would fill you with light, that he would surround you with his garment of light. If you're the people in the third group who already know this stuff, why aren't you discipling people? If you're not, you should be. The things that you think are obvious about our faith could be mind-blowing and life-changing for someone else. Help to hold them up so their light can shine more clearly. This information about Revelation is so new and exciting to me, I had to cut out a lot of this message because it was going to take about an hour. I've been afraid of this book for so long. And we know that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, right? So where would that fear be coming from? Why wouldn't the enemy want us to read this book? Just look at this little passage we went through. It's a beautiful picture of who Christ is. It shows he is strong, he is glorious, he wins. Do you think your problems, your sins, your struggles are stronger than someone who can speak like rushing waters, who shines like the sun? Do you realize you're friends with the one who has power over death and hell? That's the kind of friend you want beside you in a fight. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are with us and that you are for us, that you are our friend in the fight. Please help us to trust you more and more and learn more about you. In your name, amen.